Well, hello, Florida. It's my first time ministering in Florida. Hey. And uh, Pastor Dominic, or is it Apostle Dominic? I don't know. What's it? <laughs> Dominic and Jackie, thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be with you. Guys, I, I've been to the U.S. several times, and I do lots of things in the U.S., but this trip is my shortest trip <laughs> to the U.S. because I'm in and I'm out, and it's just good to be able to spend time with you guys. Uh, how many of you have never heard of me, never heard of anything pressed or anything? Okay, good. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> it's about to get intense. <laughs> So, um, I'll just give you a bit of an intro to myself. I'm married. I'm going to be 11 years married in July. I've got, yeah, praise God. I've got three kids, um, a nine-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And so, life is pretty intense. <laughs> now, this is the honest truth. I thought I was a good person until I got married. Then I realized... <laughs> <laughs> I needed God to work in me a lot more. <laughs> now, when I had kids, I realized I wasn't saved at all. <laughs> uh, I don't know if any parents in the room can relate. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, uh, life has been, I tell you what, uh, marriage is like God's crucible for killing the flesh, <laughs> molding you into the image of Christ, you know, so I thank God for my wife who's released me to be here. I, I like traveling with my wife, but it doesn't always work out, so, um, you know, she knows she's praying and, you know, supporting me. Uh, my parents are missionaries, and so um, I'm half Nigerian, half Ghanaian, and so I was born in Liberia. Uh, because my dad was a missionary to Liberia and then uh, moved, to nine, uh, moved to the UK, moved to Manchester in 2001. And so I've been living in Manchester since. My wife is from Manchester and uh, the ministry we lead called Prayer Storm has been uh, going on for a few years now. 2009 was when it started and uh, God has been gracious, God has been good to us and um, it's just been an incredible journey. Let's pray before we go into the word of the Lord tonight. Father, thank you for what you're doing right here in Florida. Thank you for the stirring of your spirit in this part of the U.S. I thank you for the incredible voices that are carrying something so significant for the kingdom that's impacting this nation and the world in this region. So, Lord, um, I'm just here to just add to what you're already doing. I ask that you give me utterance to communicate your word, uh, the emphasis of the spirit to the church in this hour, Lord. Let it come through. I ask that people here be marked in a fresh way today, Father. Uh, let all distractions be bound and expelled, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Uh, let revelation and wisdom be released uh, tonight in a fresh way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to go straight into the Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 16. Uh, zeal for his house is the theme uh, for this conference. And so we're going to be delving into that, uh, but going from Matthew 16. So I'm going to read a very well-known passage, which I expect a lot of you to already have read or have heard preached on or have come across. 
uh, but as I prayed about this uh, conference and this session I'm speaking at, I just felt the Lord really highlight this scripture to me that we're about to go into. Okay, so Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now we're going to read on, but I'm just going to make some comments as we as read on. Um, I love that Jesus kind of transitioned things from just the general kind of commentary on what people were saying about him to he wanted to know exactly what revelation the people walking with him had had of him. You know, you could be around a movement, you could be around church, you can be around even good church and never have stepped into a place of personal encounter. Because with the way church is going these days, you can come to meetings and go to conferences and ride on the wave of other people's passion while you yourself are dead on the inside. And you can have a nice experience at a conference while you don't have a real walk with God outside of conferences and church gatherings. And then you see a bunch of believers that become conference junkies, from conference to conference, from meeting to meeting, from meeting to meeting. And you start to wonder, well, I think, in fact, let's say this way. I wonder what would happen if we start judging how amazing a gathering is, not by the presence of God we feel in the meeting, but by the desire for God that stirred in our hearts that we sustain when the meeting is finished. Because this is great, but God is actually after something deeper than this. And actually private. There's some meetings, there's some encounters that will not happen in this space. There's some things that God wants to say to you that he will not say to you here. Because he's after a one-on-one. And so the way the church has been going, so I'm coming here with several burdens, so it's going to spill out as I speak. The way the church has been going in the 21st century kind of expression of church as we see in America, especially in parts of the UK and even other parts of the world, the church has become so intoxicated with giftings. Gifted preachers, gifted singers, and we're drawn to so many giftings that we have lost the discernment to know what God is in and what he is not in. And so what actually happened is we've sacrificed our discernment at the altar of gifted preachers and singers. So we live externally more than we cultivate what's going on internally. We're drawn to big things and things that, you know, are kind of getting traction on social media or, you know, going viral. We're drawn to all these externalities, but God is more concerned about what's going on on the inside. And the question is asking Peter here and the, the, the disciples here is, I'm not asking about what other people are saying. I'm not asking about the gatherings. I'm not asking about, you know, what's being said. I want to know what is your encounter when everything is stripped away? What, what is really going on when everything is stripped away? 
No man, no woman is greater than their prayer life. Doesn't matter how big the church is. You'll never be greater than your prayer life. As a man thinks, so he is. As a man prays, so he is. So God is after something deeper. And this question he asked Peter, he's still asking us today. Who do you say? No, who did your pastor say? No, what did you hear preached last week? You know, when you there's some things that you can listen to. See, this is one of the, also one of the challenges we have in the 21st century church. We think because we've heard a message, because we've heard a preach, or we think because we've even preached the message, we know it. Many of us preachers preach things we have no idea about. Do you, do you understand that? Because, you see, in America, you've got the best preachers, really. You've got, I'm, get, I, I'm convinced that if Peter, let me just backtrack. If some of the preachers today were alive on the day of Pentecost, they would have all preached Peter. Do, do, do you hear me? Because we're too good. As in, we've got too good. We can... Our oratory ability, our communication skills, our, you know, we have got too good. And so we start to lean on all these external things. And sometimes it's actually a cover up for our uh, internal deficiencies. So we lean on all these things on the outside and God is wanting to deal with things on the inside. And so as I encounter church life and, you know, by the way, I'm going to be saying things that will be challenging the status quo of what many people think church is. And that's not to say I am against the church. In fact, I'm a church leader. Even though I lead a ministry that's not functioning as a local church, I am a local church leader in my church that I'm a part of. I'm a teaching pastor there. So I understand church culture. You know, I understand what it means to be part of an ongoing church where we're just pressing into God and wanting to do something, wanting to align ourselves with his agenda and some of the challenges of pastoring and I, I, I get some of that. And some of what I'm gonna be sharing is gonna be coming from some of my experiences in church but also observing the church trends right now and trying to discern what is God in and what is God not in. Because when we talk about zeal for his house, we have to define what house we're talking about here. So this first session is we're going to try to strip back what does God think of when he thinks of his house? And are we thinking of the same thing as he's thinking of? Or have we got distracted with all these external props? And so Jesus is asking his disciples a deep question that I believe he's wanting us to actually reflect on today. What is your personal revelation of Jesus minus the great message you heard last week and the great preacher that you've come across on YouTube and the, put all that aside, when everything is stripped away, you know, when the rubber hits the road, when, challenge, when you face real challenges, when things go crazy in your life, when the enemy comes again, then you're going to realize what is really in you. Circumstances often reveal what's really in you. And so it's good that we start by saying, God, I don't want to live, I don't want to live a fake life. I don't want to be deceived thinking I am okay when I'm really not okay. Oftentimes I pray these prayers, Lord, shock me now. Please don't shock me on the day of judgment. 
a pastor friend of mine um, I was talking to recently, just a few weeks ago, um, he was at a conference, and the person preaching just called him and prayed over him, just said, fire on you, and he fell on the floor. And he fell on the floor, and he had a, an encounter. And this encounter, Jesus, now this guy, he's a good guy. <laughs> As in, I like him. He's got a great heart for God. He's a pastor, pastor in a good church in the city. You know, he's, as far as I know, he's living pure and, you know, he's going after God. In the vision he had, Jesus came to him and said to him, you're wicked. <laughs> when he said that to me, the fear of the Lord was eating like, oh, Lord, am I wicked? <laughs> and he said to me, James... I, I was, as far as I know, I, I couldn't think of anything I was doing that was wicked. But I knew Jesus was saying to me, I'm wicked. And he was trying to, and, and so the Lord unravels the whole parable of the talents to him in this encounter. And how he was the wicked one that was not multiplying what the Lord had given him. And the Lord then unravels to him the next, the blueprint for the next seven years of his life. And how God was wanting him to give himself. And when I heard that. Even though I was amazed at the detail of how God showed him the next seven years of his life, I came out of that conversation with a healthy fear of the Lord. That you could think you're okay. And God could be looking at you thinking, there's so much you're, so, you're in deception. This is the problem of deception. The people deceived don't know they're deceived. <laughs> so I could be in deception in an area of my life. But I don't know, until light comes in, you have no idea what you've bought into that's deception. So it's good to come before the Lord oftentimes and ask him to search your heart. Yes. Search me. Yes. Know my heart, know my thoughts. See if there's any what? Wicked way. That, David prayed that. He says, Lord, see if there is any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the path of righteousness or the path of everlasting. So there's an understanding that David had about his heart, knowing that there could be wickedness in him that he has no idea about. See, there's some things in you right now you don't know are in you because the situations that would expose them have not yet manifested. There are tendencies you have now. You don't know you have it in you. <laughs> because the circumstances to stir up those parts of you that are wicked have not yet arrived. And because it's in you, God can see it, right? So it's actually healthy for you to come before him and say, Lord, search my heart. Test me. Check me. Lord, is is my heart really pleasing to you? I don't mean it's my preaching. I don't mean it's my singing. I don't mean it's my gifting. I don't mean it's the ministry growing and are you pleased with the size of that? No, Lord, just, just, just search me, Lord. Is this really pleasing to you? Because as we um, get nearer and nearer the return of Jesus, heart conditions are going to become more and more critical. The, the external is so deceptive. You know, things can be dressed to look good externally, but internally, God is more concerned about the, the conditions of the heart. So let's get back to this passage. So the Lord challenges the apostles, who do you say I am? What is your personal encounter with me? And you know the story. Uh, Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus, verse 17, Matthew 16 said, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Just pause there. So Jesus says to Peter, you're blessed. You're blessed because what you've just articulated right now, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal it. So it's talking about revelation. There is a dimension of revelation that can come from flesh and blood. He's saying, Peter, what you've received here did not come from flesh and blood, but it came from the Father. We live in an age where you can pretty much listen to amazing preachers and grab this over, it's copy and paste. <laughs> you become an echo because you're just repeating what someone else has said, but it hasn't, be, it hasn't been your personal revelation. You got it from flesh. Now, I'm not saying God cannot teach you through flesh and blood, but God is wanting each of us to have such deep personal encounters that he marks us. Because really, you can only impart to people from the current reality you're living in. See, uh, in the 21st century expression of church, we so put such a high emphasis on education and intellect. And again, nothing wrong with theology and you know expanding our minds in study. I believe in that. However, what tends to happen, as I see for many, is you grow big heads and small hearts. Lots of information, little revelation, therefore little transformation. So we think because we have in, we've captured it intellectually, it means we know it. Just, see, the fact that you went to university and got a business degree does not mean you know anything about business until you start your own business. <laughs> you, can, you can study all you want about it, but until you get in the real, are you with me? <laughs> There's some things you don't know until you experience it. But many of us are satisfied with just the head knowledge. And actually, the written word is meant to bring us, it's a gateway for us to encounter the living word. The written word is there for us to enter into the living word. It is alive. Dominic was just sharing about how he's reading the scriptures and how it's coming alive in him. The words are alive. It's not just paper. It's not just you know, words on a piece of paper. They are spirit and life. However, you can settle with just flesh and blood information or insights that doesn't lead to real transformation. And so Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this, but my father revealed this to you. So the dimensional revelation we want to enter into is that which comes from the father. The Father opens the eyes of our understanding. He opens our hearts. He breaks down, destroys wrong ideologies. And we begin to unlearn things we've learned, religious ways, ways of doing things. 
we begin to understand the way God wants to do things in these last days. It's going to be different to what we've known before. But we're open to him teaching us. Obviously, he's not going to contradict his word. But we are eager to hear from the Father. We are eager to receive his emphasis. I want to say to you, the Father is speaking. He's speaking to many of us in this room. But we are not discerning that he's speaking. You know, Samuel, right? Samuel was ministering to the Lord. He kept ministering to the Lord, but he did not yet know the Lord. But he was, and see, the ministering to the Lord was a great foundation for Samuel. Because that's all about the Lord. It wasn't ministering to himself. He was ministering to the Lord. But he did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And when the word of the Lord came to Samuel, do you know what it sounded like? Eli. God is speaking to Samuel. But Samuel is thinking it's Eli. So it must have sounded like Eli. I mean, I don't even know why I'm going down this road. But let me just, let me just say these words and I'll get back to the passage. I don't know if this happened to you, Dominic, but I've had people say to me, James, uh, they've said to me, James, you know, I was about to do something and I just heard a line from your preach in my head. <laughs> and it was just like a repeat. And it was like the Holy Spirit just used that, those words to arrest me. But it sounded like you in my head. Now, those are oftentimes people that work with me and come on the you know, the influence or the ministry, the times when God is speaking to them, but is using my voice in their head. I don't know if that makes any sense. So Samuel was under Eli's spiritual authority. Even though he did not yet know the Lord, the Lord was speaking to him and it sounded to him like it was Eli. So he goes to Eli and checks with Eli you know, Eli is like, I didn't call you. You know the story. He does that a few times, I think a couple of times. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was speaking to Samuel. So this, this is where I'm going with what I'm saying right now. Many of you here, the father, he's been speaking to you. The, the question is not about if he's speaking or if he's not speaking. He is speaking. The problem is lack of discernment. Lack of discernment to pick that it's him. Because you know what would have happened? If Eli never told Samuel that that was the Lord, who knows, he would just have carried on thinking it was some random voice or Eli. Because Eli helped him to discern that the Lord was speaking. And so there are revelatory gifts that the Lord wants to unlock in our lives that we begin to pick revelation from heaven. Peter, in the presence of the other apostles, was able to receive revelation from heaven. And the revelation was so significant, Jesus made a declaration to Peter, and that's what's gonna be our focus this evening. It says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Then he goes on to say, and you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. In fact, let's just read it because that's going to be our focus uh, 
for the rest of this session. Verse 18, and also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So I love how the Amplified kind of expands on that, because how that really is to be read is, whatever you bind on earth will be what's already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be what has already been loosed in heaven. So it happens in heaven first. Well, we're going to come to that in a bit. But let's back up a bit to the first part. It says, you are Peter. And on this rock, what rock? The revelation that Jesus is the Christ. That rock. Jesus now says to Peter, I will build. Everyone say, I will build. Jesus is the one that's going to build. Are you with me? It's not the pastor that's going to build. It's not the prophet that's going to build. Now, I'm not saying that the fivefold ministry, we don't have a part to play in partnering with the Lord, but Jesus is saying, I am taking on a responsibility to build something. And what he said here, the word he used, I will build my church. Notice he didn't say, I'll build my synagogue. Notice he didn't borrow any religious language. Because the word church is a word ecclesia. Many of you are familiar with that word. That word is not a religious word. The people who heard him were not thinking synagogue. They weren't even thinking, he didn't say, I'll build my temple. I'll build my ecclesia. So he, he borrowed a secular word to explain what he's going to build. So we need to now understand what is the ecclesia. The ecclesia is like, they're like a governing body. So think of, you know, you know Rome, the Roman Empire. The, Rome conquers a territory. Say Rome conquers Manchester. Um, Rome sends the ecclesia to Manchester because Manchester has a completely different culture to Rome. So... The ecclesia, a group of people that are sent into the territory that has been conquered to make Manchester look like Rome. But they do that by actually influencing the different spheres of society in Manchester. But the goal is to make Manchester look like Rome. So that body is a governing body. The, the ecclesia is not just coming together to sing songs and have a nice time and have fellowship. The ecclesia, they have responsibility. Each person who's part of the ecclesia understands their identity and understands their authority and understands their responsibility. Many Christians put a lot of pressure. And see, I am not trying to say we should not have responsibility on the platform to seek God and hear from God and release words from God. That is always going to be the case. However, many Christians put a lot of emphasis on the platform and all the responsibility on the preacher. Preach me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Prof. 
prophesy, man of God. Lay hands on me. Lay legs on me. Make me feel better. And they put all the pressure on him without realizing from heaven's perspective, the pressure is actually on all of us. It's not just on the preacher. The preacher has to prep and pray and seek God. But the same way the preacher has to fast and pray and seek God to come to the platform, is the same way you need to fast and pray to seek God to go into your place of work. Okay, let's just back up a bit. I'm going to make this practical, and you're not going to forget, so I'm going to pick someone at random. My brother right here in the yellow shirt, what's your name? Eric. Eric. Okay, Eric. Dominic, do you know Eric? You did know Eric, great. So, let's just imagine, I don't know if this is the case, but let's just imagine tomorrow morning, there's going to be a service, well, there is going to be a service, and Pastor Dominic says to Eric, after this service, Eric, you know what, I just really feel the Lord spoken to me, and tomorrow morning, James isn't going to be speaking, but you are going to be speaking. And um, you just heard that at the end of this service. Okay. And you're like, Pastor, you sure? It's like, yes, I really feel from the Lord you're supposed to be speaking. So we finished the meeting at 10 p.m. Let's just say in your head, after this meeting, you already had in your mind to go home and watch a certain series from The Mandalorian. Now, the moment you receive that call to preach tomorrow morning, I guarantee you, after this service, you're not going to go home and watch Mandalorian. (laughs) Or let's just say there's a football game or there's some movie you've been itching to watch. There is no way after this service, the moment you hear after the service you're preaching tomorrow morning, you're not going to go home and watch a movie, watch some football, or just, just flesh out, or do something that's relevant. Are you with me? Is that a fair point to make? (laughs) Why do you think that's the case? Spiritual responsibility. The moment spiritual responsibility hits you, it starts to affect your lifestyle. (laughs) So the, the reason why you're not seeking God is because you don't realize there is already spiritual responsibility from heaven's perspective on you. But you're waiting for the pastor to give you a microphone before the responsibility hits you. I'm saying to you, there's already a spiritual microphone to your mouth right now. But you have not been seeking God. So your life is not carrying a level of authority and impact it should because you're not tuning in to your spiritual responsibility. When that responsibility begins to hit you, it now starts to affect how you fast, how you pray, how you spend your time. You realize you can't just sit down and just binge on movies all day because you have spiritual responsibility. But somehow you think I should take the platform more serious than you take your place of work. As far as heaven is concerned, if you're in the ecclesia, each person in the ecclesia has spiritual responsibility. Because the ecclesia has to be able to access heaven. See, that's what Jesus then goes on to say. And I'm getting ahead of myself here, but he says, I give to you the keys. He doesn't say I give to you a key. Plural. The keys of the kingdom. And see, the keys are revelatory keys. They're access. It gives you access to the mind of God. 
What has just happened with Peter is Peter has just had access to the mind of God and he's received a download. And then Jesus sends Peter, what's just happened here? That's a picture of more of what's to come. I'm going to give you keys. If there are keys, that means there are doors. Right? In Revelation, he says, come up here. What did John say? And the door was open. And the Spirit said, come up here or come up higher. Something of that sort. Now, in this scenario, the door is not open. <laughs> the door is closed. <laughs> but you are the one that's been given the key. So that means you're going to have to use the key to open the door. And when you open the door, what happens is you have access like you're logging to the archives of heaven. And when you're able to access what's in heaven, then you're able to discern what heaven wants to do on the earth. That is why it says, whatever you bind on earth is what has already been bound in heaven. So first, it is bound in heaven. So if you're going to bind it on earth, you have to discern that that is what's already been bound in heaven. The process of discerning that's been bound in heaven is revelatory access, the keys. And the only way you can do that is by taking on spiritual responsibility in the place of prayer. The whole idea of binding and all that, you cannot activate that reality without prayer. So the way the ecclesia is meant to function is through governmental intercession. The ecclesia doesn't function any, the ecclesia doesn't just function by coming together to sing songs. Now, thank God for singing songs and worshiping. Fine, let me just sidetrack a bit. I don't know if it happens here in America, but in the UK, we'll have prayer meetings and the pastors say, okay, we're gonna pray for an hour. <laughs> let me just go on another sidetrack. We don't need a prayer meeting, we need a prayer culture. I don't know if Islam is huge here like it is in parts of the UK. The Muslims have a prayer culture and we have a prayer meeting. Okay, so let's back up. Where was I? <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> Someone remind me before I went off on my tangent. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're trying, you're trying. Okay, so the Lord is wanting to raise up a company of people that understand their spiritual responsibility to be able to log into the mind of God through intercession. And then as we log into the mind of God through intercession, we're able to enforce the will of God on the earth. The church, what we call the church today, for many of us, when we think of the church, our mindset is like thinking of like the synagogue kind of model of we're just coming together, maybe read some scriptures, hear a few words. We're not thinking about that individual responsibility and that call that God is putting on each of us to enforce his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So let's back up to what Jesus says. I will build my ecclesia. Um, when you think about this, it seems to me that Jesus says he will build his church. So let's try to um, just look at what's going on right now in the 21st century church. Oftentimes, we think because the church is growing numerically, 
Jesus is building it. When Jesus said he would build his church, he meant something specific. And I'll touch on that in a few moments. But I, I want, I'm going to see that the fact that numbers are gathering doesn't mean Jesus is building. Because, like I said in the beginning, giftings can draw a crowd. And the fact that a crowd has been drawn together does not mean the ecclesia is coming together. So there is something called corporate ranking in spiritual authority that enables the ecclesia to shift atmospheres over regions. So if the people of God that are meant to be the ecclesia are not living under the weight of spiritual responsibility, but they're living in compromise and they're not living a lifestyle that's aligned to the lifestyle of that of the kingdom, it doesn't matter how many of us gather, we will not shift the spiritual atmosphere over the region. So there is a lifestyle requirement, there is a responsibility that the Ecclesia are meant to carry. And so these days, it seems like we have more emphasis on the numbers than the quality of who's, gathered, who's coming together. And heaven is more concerned about quality. Now, I'm not saying heaven is not concerned about quantity because Jesus himself said, you know, for God so loved the world. So the world is a lot of people, millions. <laughs> However, there's something about the quality of believers that he's wanting to raise up. So Jesus said he will build his ecclesia. But Jesus also said, my house, you know, the, you know what he said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so if we put those two together, there's something about what Jesus is building that's going to carry his emphasis, his DNA. Now, notice, Jesus didn't say my house will be called the house of preaching. And he didn't say my house will be called the house of worship. And he didn't say my house will be called the house of prophecy. See, I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. And now I remembered what I forgot. <laughs> I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but I don't know if this happens here like it does in the UK. The, the pastor would say, or a leader could say, okay, we're gonna get together and have a time of prayer. Let's say it's for an hour. The prayer is meant to be for an hour, right? Sometimes for 40 minutes it is teaching or preaching. And then the last 15 minutes is some sort of wimpish prayer. Or we're going to pray for an hour. We get together and the first 40 minutes is worship. Again, that's not wrong. But when we have finished our time of worship and adoration and we say, well, now we're going to step into some time of prayer or warfare or press, whatever it is, you find that sometimes it's often a very, the amount of time given to that is very small and the amount of strength you can feel from the congregation is often weak. So our, our, our worship muscle is big. Have you ever seen that? Add about the the guy um, don't skip leg day. <laughs> it's, it's muscular, but then has like tiny chicken legs. <laughs> Think of the upper body as the part of the church that's worship 
and prophecy and preaching muscle. And the tiny skinny legs are the consecration, <laughs> prayer and intercession muscle. So the church upper body is like, yeah. <laughs> the legs are, because when you say let's pray, and you say, we're, get, we're, we're gonna pray straight for an hour or two hours or three hours. Many people are like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I don't like if I handle that. Because the prayer muscle in the church at large is very weak. It's undeveloped, always developed. It doesn't have, in fact, it, it's still in a kind of a baby phase. It hasn't matured. And when I look at the early church, I am very challenged at the way they prayed. For example, Jesus said to them, wait for the Holy Spirit. He said, wait until you're endued with power. If he said that to many of us, we'll probably just go home and just wait. But they didn't think of wait as sit down and do nothing. Their interpretation of Jesus saying wait was pray. <laughs> so... They were praying for days on end. Can I remind you that their prayer meeting had a start time and no end time. So they didn't say, oh, we're going to meet on Tuesday and pray from 7 to 8. And that's us kind of fulfilling what Jesus said. And then we'll meet again and pray from 7 to 8 the next day. No, 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 no. They were locked up in that place. And they prayed until... Obviously, they would have slept. They probably would have eaten. I don't know. They might have fasted. Who knows? But they prayed until. Think about this. They didn't even have the gift of tongues. <laughs> How were they able to pray for eight hours? Ten hours? Without tongues? Do you know what that points to? They had staying power. And that points to spiritual stamina. But when you look through the book of Acts, you see that the church was clearly a church that had grown in stamina. You see Acts 12. Peter is about to be killed. And then it says, constant prayer was offered to the Lord on his behalf by the church. So just think about this. Think about it. Constant prayer was offered for one thing. How many ways can you pray that one prayer? God set Peter free. How many ways? When Peter was eventually set free, it was in the middle of the night and they were still praying. So the fact that they could pray for one prayer request for hours, for days, what does that point to? Stamina. The early church had praying stamina. The 21st century church lacks prayer stamina. But yet we want the results of the early church. We want their results without the lifestyle that produced the results. And somehow we think that we could just have the shortcut. Some man of God over here pays the price and we just go to his meeting and receive the anointing. By the way, if you're like, oh Lord, I want a double portion of the anointing. I hope you realize you also want a double portion of the problems that brought the anointing. So God is actually wanting to raise up believers that take on spiritual responsibility 
and feel the weight, the weight. They, they begin to grow in stamina. You know, when you go to the gym, you see, Jesus says, I'll build, right? If you're going to build muscle, you have to lift weight. And you have to lift weight. And what, when you lift the weight, what happens? Pain. You know the famous saying, no pain, no gain, right? So as you lift heavier weights, you build more muscle. So Jesus' way of building the church is actually sometimes through trials. And if you want to find another way or you want to find a fast track, regardless, God is going to have to train you through trials. However, one of the ways to go through those trials and come out better, not bitter, is to develop the praying muscle. For some of you, trials will lead you to prayer because you're going through so many challenges. Oh God, I've got to pray, I've got to pray. So God is indoctrinating you into a life of prayer through your trials. The problem with that is once the trials move on and once that season of life passes, your intensity drops. So your life of prayer is crisis-driven. Someone has cancer, pray. Someone is in trouble, pray. We need a breakthrough of finances, you pray intensely. Oh, I need to pass my exams, pray. I need a job, intense prayer. Ten texts everyone, pray, 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 pray. Once that season passes, what happens? <laughs> Until the next crisis, pray. Oh, there's a terror attack, oh, we're gonna pray. I mean, you realize if there was a terror attack somewhere in the US right now, Every, even the secular media, pray for America. Pray, God bless America. <laughs> Isn't it funny that crisis has a way of stirring prayer in people? Dependence on God, realizing we're not all with the world, we're not in control. Show me the believer that knows how to pray intensely without crisis. And I show you the believer that's rightly positioned to handle the crisis when it arises. Responsibility has to hit you now. So I'm saying... God is wanting to raise up his church. The church, the ecclesia he's building is a company of people that are strong in spirit. Read about John the Baptist, Luke 180. He grew strong in spirit. And then he was in the desert onto the day of his manifestation to Israel. There's emphasis on all these warriors, heroes of the faith. They grew strong in spirit. There was investment in building spiritual stamina. I don't know how long you pray right now, but I want to say to you, God wants you to pray for longer. Some Christians have never pushed in prayer for an hour. And if you're here today, I want to challenge you. Because you know what he says to the disciples, can you not tarry with me one hour? And some of you in here, you can pray for an hour. You can spend time in God's presence for an hour. That's okay. But I want to encourage you to stretch your prayer muscle. Do some prayer experiments. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if you prayed for seven hours a day for the next five days straight? Locked yourself in a room? Well, stop wondering and do it. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what it was like to just spend a whole weekend with the Lord? Well, make it happen. Have you ever wondered what it was like to go for a seven-day fast all by yourself with the Lord? Now, I know you've got families and all that. When you work out the practicalities, you can, you can come before the Lord saying, Lord, I just want to stretch myself in the spirit. 
in your presence. I want to build spirit. Because this thing, you're not going to realize your potential in the spirit until you start to step into spaces where you're stretched spiritually. Some of you don't realize, but what you are right now is like a shadow. It's like nothing compared to who you're called to be in the spirit. But you've not been in environments that's been calling you and challenging you because you're so easily fed all this entertainment and all the media and all the distractions. You feed your body so much more than you feed your spirit. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and realize God had all this stuff for me to walk in. But I couldn't walk in it because I had chicken legs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious because you're, you're oh God I want revival God I want God is like I want to pour the revival but listen if I were to pour it right you it would crush you your consecration is so weak you just do anything anyhow no accountability your prayer life is so weak every everything that it's been Pushed every, every resistance you're facing, you're struggling to break through. Didn't it say in some way, and I don't know, one of the prophets of Psalms that, you know, when, if your strength fails in the day of calamity, your strength is weak. That there's something about God wanting to raise up warriors that do not give up. The church he's raising up is an army. The ecclesia are strong. They are strong. Now, you may say, James, well, I'm going through this. I'm going through this. I'm going through this. I'm struggling with my relationships. I'm struggling with my finances. Do you realize that sometimes all these things you're talking about, you're struggling with, they're avenues for you to grow? Instead of you complaining about them, how about you allow them to cause your spiritual muscle to be built? So what the enemy meant for evil... God turns it around for your good. Then David said, even though I walk through the valley, David did not make his bed in the valley. He was walking through. In other words, he was going to come out. Some people, they're in the valley, and because life is difficult, they've made their bed. They're sleeping there. I know you're feeling some challenges in your health and the things going on in your relationships. As long as you can see that it's the hand of the enemy and it's not, the, it's not God at work, that is a call for you to rise in prayer and make a stand until that situation shifts. See, God's greatest intercessors are often forged in the crucible of afflictions and trials. I'll repeat that. God's greatest intercessors are often forged in the crucible of afflictions, trials, and tribulations. He uses that oftentimes to raise up warriors. Look at Jesus. The Father says, this is my beloved son. I'm pleased with you. How, I mean, if the Lord were to say that to you, you probably would think, wow, amazing. The next thing is just breakthroughs and open doors. Not Jesus. Deserts and fasting and no food. For 40 days, he went into the most intense season of his life after the father just told him, I'm so pleased with you. But do you know how that is written? It says, the father said all these words to Jesus, he's baptized, and then the spirit, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus, drove him into the desert. If that's how Jesus was trained in terms of by the Spirit and prepared for the fullness of his ministry, what makes you think we're going to be any different? See, the Spirit came on Jesus and drove him into the desert. 
question, what is driving you? Because the flesh can drive you. The world can drive you. Sin can drive you. And the spirit can drive you. The fact that the spirit is driving you does not mean he always drives you into breakthroughs and fun and, and you know, life just going amazing. The times where the spirit drives you into difficulties for the purpose of building you because the assignment is great and you cannot be sent into the assignment into the fullness of what God has for you without growing some muscle spiritually. So Jesus is wanting to build a church that's got spiritual muscle. And then he goes on to say, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you know what that means? The gates of hell will prevail against the church that he's not building. So we're already at war right now, spiritually. You, you don't have to say, oh, you know, I don't like warfare. No, you're already in a battle. The fact that you declare Jesus as your savior means you're, you're like indoctrinated. You're, I don't know what the word is. You're, you're, you're in battle right now. That's all I'm going to say. So you, you can't say, oh, I'm not into this warfare thing. Then you become a victim of it. If you don't realize you're in a battle and train yourself and begin to be sensitive to give yourself to the Lord, you become a victim. Now, the gates of hell, the works of darkness, they are, there's, there's an increasing momentum of the activities of darkness in this time we're living in. There, there's an increased uh, aggressiveness to the works of darkness. And was it Isaiah? Isaiah 60, somewhere around there, says, great darkness uh, arise and shine for light will come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness the people. But then the Lord arises over you. So in the midst of darkness increasing, God is wanting to also increase his light. So there are churches that are supposed to be ecclesia, but they've just become an assembly of compromised believers. the gates of hell will prevail against them. Because you can't have the enemy's property in your camp and expect him not to come and receive his rewards. Oh, what's the word? He's, he's, you know, maybe a better way to say is this. You can't have authority over an enemy you're sleeping with. If you're connecting with things of darkness, your authority is neutralized. So you can't exercise authority over an enemy that you're sleeping with or you've come into agreement with. And so the fact that the church, in quotes, in America may have numbers doesn't mean the church has authority. Because the gates of hell is often having influence because if you look across the church, in my kind of fair, you know, uh, uh, my perspective, which is not perfect, but just with what I see, I think it's fair to say there is so much compromise and there is so much pollution. There's so much contamination on our pulpits, in our worship. Can I go somewhere right now? Hmm. 
You can be gifted. You can be anointed. But the anointing of God on your life is not a sign of his approval of your behavior. You can be anointed and stupid. You can be anointed and wicked. You can be anointed and be a bad person. And the anointing actually amplifies things. And so we, we can end up getting deceived to think because there is a dimension or level of anointing on our lives, heaven is pleased with us. Like I said earlier, there, there, there's wickedness in our hearts sometimes that we have no idea that's actually there. Until we begin to expose our hearts to the Lord, then he begins to do surgery on us. And sometimes it tells you to stay away from the platform, stay away from the pulpit, go into your closet, turn down invitations or whatever it is, because he's wanting to work on us. But we've become so intoxicated with the applause of man. We've become so intoxicated with the growth on the external. We're distracted from the rottenness on the inside. And so our authority as a church is being neutralized. So we cannot function as the ecclesia. So really, this is part of where I'm going. I want you to see that the church that Jesus is building has his emphasis. The church that Jesus is building has Jesus' emphasis and Jesus' nature and Jesus' focus. So Jesus himself says, this house will be called a house of prayer. For, oh, <laughs> and if you read Isaiah's quotation, Isaiah 5, uh, five what's it? Is it 56? Somewhere on there. 7. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. It even gives you a bit of a an idea of the type of house he's building. It's not just the house of prayer, prayer for your needs. Did you hear that? He defines what his house is going to be. It's not prayer for your needs. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want to meet your needs. But he says, this house of prayer, the emphasis is going to be external for the nation, for Florida, for America. There's going to be an emphasis on intercession. Because there's a dimension of prayer that's often very much, very focused on self. And it's not that that is wrong, but many Christians leave their, their Christian life is just always in that outer court realm, asking, and it's often very much connected with just what I want and what I need, but not heaven's emphasis. And since I know there are different leaders in this room, I want to say this as well. The way the kingdom of God advances through prayer, when you have your prayer meetings and sister so-and-so comes and says, oh, pray for my mom, she's sick. So-and-so comes and says, pray for me, I've broken my toe. The other person says, pray for me, I need some money. And you do all those prayers. Thank God for those prayers. But those sort of prayers would not advance the kingdom. <laughs> do you hear me? Because you're dealing with just the needs. It's not wrong, but that will not advance the kingdom in that territory. The sort of prayers that would advance the kingdom in that territory is what we've just read in Matthew 16. The keys of the kingdom. Logging into the heart of God and understanding what he is doing in heaven. And then allowing that to influence what is going on on the earth. That is the kind of ecclesia he wants to build. So let's just say a church is growing in numbers. There are many churches in America right now growing in number. 
growing in influence, in terms of influence in the natural. More people hearing about following, you know, uh, say there's a ministry, music ministry, that's growing in influence, growing in momentum, and lots of people, and there's lots of hype about it, okay? Now, are you ready for this? God is not so concerned about the external growth. However, if it is growing so much, and we want to test to see what is behind the growth, we need to look at what Jesus said he's going to build. And is Jesus' emphasis found in that ministry's emphasis? Are you hearing me? Because... <laughs> If Jesus is building it, it's going to have its core DNA. And it will be unmistakably a place of prayer. I'm not saying there's not going to be preaching or worship or anything else, but it's going to carry his DNA. So if the church is growing or the ministry is growing, and it doesn't have the DNA of prayer, of fasting, of holiness, guess what? Something else is responsible for that growth apart from the Holy Ghost. There are many churches in America growing right now, in quotes, but the Holy Ghost is not responsible for that growth. There are many music ministries growing, in quotes, but the Holy... See, I don't know about you, but I was talking to uh, Pastor Dominic in the car about lately, I've been finding that some of the music coming out from the church is just like white noise. And I found when I go to sleep at night and I wake up in the morning, I wake up sometimes with a song in my heart. And the songs I'm waking up with are songs from the 80s and 90s. And then I go on YouTube and I search for the song. And the moment the sound plays, what hits me is the purity of the worship. And I go, oh my goodness, what's going on with the... Anyone else feeling that? <laughs> so... There is a lot of sound stuff being released right now, but I'm telling you, there are often a lot of spirits at work in the midst of all that sounds like worship, all that sounds like preaching. Because you can have a great preacher, you can have a great minister who can come up here and speak the word, but you realize you can be theologically right and spiritually wrong. Do you realize you can say everything as it's meant to be said, and everything sounds right in the natural, but you're functioning from a different spirit. And people are falling in love with your gifting or whatever you're displaying out here. And the Holy Spirit is not pleased. And because many Christians are not in the place of prayer, one of the tragedies of prayerlessness is a lack of discernment. You just take anything that comes your way. You just listen to anything that comes your way. Because it's popular does not mean God is... Are you hearing me? America right now is filled with lots of compromising voices representing another agenda and not the agenda of God's kingdom. But because they've built a platform and they have a following, everyone is just following but not really listening to the Spirit. And as you begin to listen to the Spirit, it's not that you start to judge everyone and condemn them, but you know something is off and God is not here and I'm not going to be taking this into my system. The discernment in the church is low because the prayer lives are weak. 
So the Holy Ghost within you is not strong. So you just listen to any preacher. You just listen to any worship. You just take anything in. But I'm telling you, you've got, as we, as we near this, as we're in these last days and there's a building up of what God is wanting to do, you have to be very conscious of what you're taking into your system. You have to be very conscious on what you're feeding on. Because some of you don't realize what you're carrying in the spirit is so precious. You can end up having a spiritual abortion. Because you've been feeding on the wrong stuff spiritually. People that are carrying a complete different spirit to the spirit of God and what he's wanting to do. But they sound right and sound good. And as you take that into your system, it kills the life that's already grown within you. And any woman will tell you, when you get pregnant, what really happens is it starts to change your appetite. Some of you, you find that you used to listen to some things that were good. Now you're just like, it's not connecting with me anymore. It's because you're carrying something and the vision, the life, the revival fire. What you're carrying is now affecting what you're going to be feeding on. You can't just go anywhere. You can't just listen to any preacher. You can't just listen to any worship. Because the seed within you affects what you feed on. Your discernment has to start to increase. And the way that happens is you begin to give yourself in prayer. You build your spiritual muscle in prayer. And this is the way it works. The more you pray, the more you open up channels for God to speak to you. There will be feedback from heaven. The feedback may not happen instantaneously. It may take some time. But as you pray, things start to open up in the spirit. That's what prayer does. It causes acceleration in the spirit. It causes momentum. One of the tragedies of prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. Some of your angels are bored. They're going to the father saying, oh Lord, we don't know what to do because she doesn't really pray much. She complains a lot more. Whereas there's some people, because they're praying so much, they're releasing so much incense from their life. It's like, God is like, okay, we need to send, we need to send angelic reinforcements because they, they, the angels already with them are so busy. We need to add because they're, they're generating so much activity in the spirit. When you pray, there is momentum. Was it not Daniel that says in Daniel 9, 21, as I was praying about the time of the ignorance sacrifice, the angel reached Daniel about the time of the ignorance sacrifice. And this is what Daniel says. The angel was caused to fly swiftly so my question is what is normal angel speed I don't know whatever whatever normal angel speed is this particular angel was caused to supersede that normal angel speed because Daniel was praying prayer causes acceleration there are many of you in this room where, where you are right now from heaven's calendar for your life, you're behind schedule. You're behind. You're supposed to be further along in some things in God. But let me just, see, this pastor Dominic, he has a prayer life. He prays, you know, oh, regularly. Let's just say he prays regularly. I know you do pray. So with the current pattern he has in his prayer life, there's some things that, God will be able to entrust to Pastor Dominic that he would only be able to release there 
let's just say, for example, sake, in the next two years. So based on your current prayer life right now, Pastor Dominic, there's some things that God has worked out in this tra- the trajectory of your life right now. It's like, okay, based on where you are right now and how the patterns you've embraced, by two years from now, you would have got somewhere in the spirit that now I can entrust some things to you. Now, let's just say you decide, okay, I'm going to double my time in prayer, whatever that is. Yeah, I'm going to give my t- time. I'm going to give myself more. I'm going to add some fasting at certain times. It's not that you're trying to earn something with God, but he's already wanting to give that to you. But what your investment of time does, it, it accelerates the process. So what could take two years could end up taking a year and a half. And then let's say everyone in the church says, okay, they're going to spend five minutes every day praying for you. What could take a year and a half? Because of their prayers for you. Remember, remember what's it? Peter was in prison. Peter wasn't praying. <laughs> the church was praying. <laughs> because the church was praying for Peter, the angel came. So our personal prayer life has a place. But when other people begin to pray for you as well, that adds momentum to the move of God in your life. Another example, Moses was in the desert, minding his business, right? The people of Israel were groaning in pain. Their groans lifted up, came up to God as intercession, cries. Because of their groans, Moses has an encounter. Their crying out to God caused something to happen. Are you with me? The more prayer happens in a place the more there will be an acceleration of the move of God in that place. If someone got saved in this room today, someone got saved today, gave their life to Jesus, they've been living in Baxter State and saying, today, oh Lord, I want to give you everything. And between now and the end of this month, they start to fast and pray and seek God. The level of spiritual maturity and growth that they will be in by a month's time would boggle your mind. See, I think what tends to happen in a lot of churches is people get saved in a lukewarm environment. So their normal is now what they've seen as lukewarm. So when they see someone that's actually living the normal life, they call that person weird. But think about how Paul got saved. Paul got saved and he was indoctrinated into fasting. (laughs) And he had no food for three days. I'm convinced if people get saved and we just put them into fasting and prayer, I am convinced that there will be such a radical, are you with me? But oftentimes they get saved into lukewarm environments. So they just replicate that lukewarm because that's what they see. The church is in compromise. They see people living a certain way and that's their normal. But God is wanting to raise up a whole new breed of warriors, a whole new breed of believers. He wants to raise up the ecclesia. He will build that ecclesia. Do you know how he builds that ecclesia? Through his Holy Spirit. So you wake up in the morning, you open the fridge, you're about to make yourself breakfast, and the Holy Spirit whispers, fast. (laughs) In that moment, he's trying to build something in you. But you're like, actually, no one heard that. No one heard that. Lord, you're going to forgive me later, but I've got to have this bread, whatever it is, bacon or whatever, you know. So the point is that 
Jesus builds through his spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is with us and he instructs us. There is a specific shape, Dominic, you're supposed to take in the spirit based on God's calling on your life. There's a specific shape you're meant to take in the spirit. And when you become mature in what God has called you to do, let me say that again. When you become mature in who God's called you to be, you're going to look slightly different to Pastor Dominic standing in the fullness of everything God's called him to be. Because God has made us all unique in the spirit. No one of us are the same. God doesn't just want you to have a weapon. He wants you to be a weapon. For some of us in the spirit, we're like a spare. For some of us in the spirit, we're like a sword. Other people in the spirit, they're like a battle axe. How you use a battle axe is different to how you use a sword. But the way you're going to discover who you are in the spirit is by journeying in the spirit. And then the Holy Spirit starts to train your hands for what? Your fingers for battle, right? He starts to give you your consecration requirements for you to fulfill the fullness of God's calling on your life. Because the way he's called me to consecrate myself will be different to specific things he's calling you to do. But as you begin to submit to the Holy Spirit's leading on your life, you're being built into the fullness of the Ecclesia. Are you with me? Some of us are discovering who we are in God and we're wanting to step out, but it's like a battle axe, but it's blunt. It's It's not effective. And so the sharpness is in there. I don't know how long I've been speaking, but I think I've been going on for so long. I'm going to wrap up now. <laughs> now, listen, listen. God is wanting to build his church, the ecclesia that will not back out under the pressure. And if there's anything you're going to remember from today, God is wanting to be a house of prayer. Can I have the band come up, please? I've been saying this over the last year or so, or maybe even more than that several places I've been at where I've said, you know, these days, I don't know about you, but there are these devotionals that people have, you know, they read the Bible for a few minutes, they say a few prayers for a few minutes. That is, that is okay, but with the level of darkness that we're facing, that is not going to cut it. <laughs> Did you hear me? With the level of darkness we're facing in this generation, your five-minute word for the day and a five-minute or two-minute prayer is not going to cut it. You have to journey in the Spirit. You have to go on spiritual pilgrimage. You, didn't it say in Hebrews, he who comes to God, to come to God, you have to move from where you are to where he is. You, you, you transition and if you're going to transition it's a journey sometimes it takes hours it takes hours to transition from the consciousness of the weights of the world sometimes it takes days of giving yourself to the Lord some of you need to pick up your diary I think of it what do you call diaries here calendar calendar Okay, we call it in the UK diaries. Pick up your calendar and schedule in retreats. Times where you get your wristwatch and you throw it away. 
say, Lord, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to pray in the Spirit for the next eight hours. And you're like, I feel bored. Like my, like my son comes to me, so I'm like, Dad, I'm bored. I'm like, good. My job is not to entertain you all the time. Enjoy the boredom. <laughs> this generation is so stimulated. So if I can entertain you all the time, you don't understand that spiritual things don't come quick. Spiritual, I, I need to, my son, we're casting out a demon out of someone the other day, and the demon said, I hate justice, justice is my son's name, I hate justice. And so I went back home to my son, I said, justice, demons know your name. So I can't put you in front of the TV all day. We're going to go to the barracks, spiritual barracks, because you're going to be trained in warfare. I mean, I said, Justice, it's going to be wicked of me to know that there's this level of spiritual warfare going on, and I just let you watch TV and play video games. No, you're going to pray in tongues for an hour with me. And he does it. You're going to pray in tongues for 30. You, we're, going to, we're going to push in the spirit. You're feeling bored? Good. Because... Bored, you have to embrace boredom as a pathway to encounter. Some things don't come quick. In fact, it takes time for God to really make a, a man, a woman. It takes time. It's the enemy that does things quick. When God wants to build, he often takes time to build people. Look at Jesus, 30 years. And then three years, boom, explosion and impact. But it was 30 years of preparation for three years. If it was me and you, probably do it the other way around. Three years of preparation for 30 years of ministry. You know, he, God is wanting to build something and it's going to take time. Don't be discouraged if you find that you're in a process that seems to be taking time. Just let God do what he wants to do in you. He wants to build something that will be able to hold the weight of his glory that he's wanting to release in these last days. Do you want to stand with me? We're going to just pray for a few moments. Try not to get distracted. He wants to build his house of prayer. So when we talk about zeal for his house, he is zealous to see this house of prayer raised up carrying his emphasis, his DNA, carrying that stamina. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time to pray, but we're going to open up this space for response. As I've been speaking, the different things that would have been convicting many of you in this room. And so I'm not going to list them all, 
But if the Lord has been convicting your heart, stirring you, and you want to just make this time a time to just respond to Him in whatever way He has been stirring you, it might be repentance, it might be a rededication, it might be whatever that the Lord is speaking to you about. Maybe a relationship that needs to shift, that's become a distraction, stopping you from pressing into Maybe entertainment has consumed your whole world, and you're more given to entertainment than you are to building spiritual stamina. And you find that you're under compromise. You're not functioning with spiritual responsibility. Whatever it is, if you want to respond to the Lord, I want to invite you to come forward. We're just going to make this altar a space of response right now. And we're going to take a few moments to just begin to just call out to the Lord for a shift internally, a shift internally. We want Him to do a work in us that can bear the weight of what he's wanting to release in the nation. What is wanting to release in Florida? What is wanting to release in this region of Tampa? You know, I believe that's where we are. The, whatever is wanting to release in this area, we're saying, Lord, we want to be the ecclesia that can bear the weight of it. We're sorry for the distractions and the, and the cheap Christianity we've bought into that has caused us to be ineffective. Lord, we, we, we're saying today, Lord, would you mark us as warriors for your kingdom? Would you mark us, Lord, to not just repeat that which we see in the culture, but to be a whole new breed of warriors in the spirit? Come on, just lift your voice in prayer right now. Malana nasa vale de ketaile zeve lodovaya. Ravavala namande de dushravle de bises aina namande. Ah, ya 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 vala da 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 ele zeve laina namala namandaya. Malana mande bele de vata baile de ba. Jesus, build your church through the work of the Holy Ghost. Build, 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 Lord. Build an army that the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against what you're building. Because we carry that DNA. So right now, Father, we turn away from compromise. We turn away from wimpish Christianity. We turn away from cheap grace and distractions that's, that's paralyzing our effectiveness as an army. So Lord, right here we say, mark us. Mark us with fire. Mark us with focus. Mark us with precision. Mark us, Lord. Mark us, Lord. Build your church. Build this church, Lord. The gates of hell will not prevail. We arise in the Spirit, Lord, today. We turn away from that which has been the area of comfort and compromise. And Lord, we come to you and we say, Lord, mark us with a fresh fire today. A fresh grace today to go deeper. To build more muscle. Yeah. We're going to work on the legs. We're going to work on the consecration, the fasting, the intercession. We don't, we don't want to have weak legs in the spirit. Father, let there be an increase of muscle where there has been weakness. Mark us afresh, Lord. Zedanaide, Zedanaide, Balada Baza, Balana Mandaya.
Yeah, Shift the culture, shift the culture, shift the culture, shift the culture. Yes, we welcome the prayer culture. The prayer culture, the, inter, the, the, the culture of intercession, supplication, the spirit of grace and supplication. We declare that our voices will not be silent anymore. We lift our voices in intercession, in prayer. Let the church arise. Let the ecclesia arise. The governing body with authority, intimacy, responsibility. Let them arise, Lord. Hey, hey. Zabalai de Velo Zavalan de Belitotino Ravesata Tile de Bola Zabale de Vanda Tile Capolaya Lamba Bola Zabala Catatola and Madame Balanda Tyler. Hey, Zananai, come on, church, just press in right now. Kabala da Doza Veli Catatila Nama. Yes, a marking, a marking. The marking of warriors in this room, Lord. Mark us for your purposes in this region. Satala daile de bala namo. Ha! Ha! Ya ye vezana la ze vezana yo. Hele de la naya bola da vasana malanama. The gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. The spirit of religion will not prevail. Witchcraft will not prevail. De addictions will not prevail. Depression, oppression will not prevail. We arise as warriors in the spirit. Warriors in the spirit. Marked with grace. Marked with grace. Hasana hey, Hasana hey. Asana hey, Asana hey. Abala da dai lo zavai la babai lo zavai le ne mesatoa. Valanai kozonda baile sitikai bolonde deya. Bele sainai kabula zanta taileo. Avasala na namanda bala zataela. Ha ha. Valadeo, 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 Valadeo. Valeza vaile koda baleza malede bayo. Hey! Kanaye, kanaye, kanaye. Yes. Hamalande bolo streve kista dai bolo. Yes. I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Lord, make me a house of prayer. 
Say that again. Say, Lord, make me a house of prayer. I ask for a fresh fire on my prayer altar. So now we're going to pray in the spirit. I want you to take that simple prayer, but push into it some more. Say, Lord, mark me with the spirit of grace and supplication. Just begin to pray that right now. Make me a house of prayer. I don't want to be weak in the spirit. I want to be strong. I want to grow spiritual muscle like never before. Mark me with a grace like I've never known before. Let there be a fresh fire on my altar. A fresh fire on my altar. Hey! Valai, 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 valai. Sakatile ne mundu balazateo. Habale de vasataile de bandaya. Habalaye, habalaye. Fire on our altars. Fire in our prayer lives. Elezata la capaila nanamboya. A shift, a shift, a shift. Fire on our altars. Fire in our homes. Fire as a Nico, as a Nico, as a Nico. A shift. Haladadadayo. 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 Abalada bezo, abalada bezo, abalada bezo, maleho, 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 fire, 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 a house of prayer. Marcus, Marcus, Marcus afresh. Oh. Make us a house of prayer. House of prayer. House of prayer. Marcus, make us a house of prayer, we pray. Don't stop, keep pressing in. Come on. to pray this we're going to pray for an increase in spiritual stamina you remember Pastor Dominic made reference to Lazarus being called out of the grave 
Do you remember how Jesus prayed? He says, Father, I thank you that you have already heard me. So what happened was Jesus invested a good amount of time in prayer before he came to Lazarus' grave. The prayer he prayed before he came to Lazarus' grave generated the power that was then activated at Lazarus' grave of a word. Are you hearing me? The sort of prayers that generate that sort of impact don't happen in two minutes. Jesus prayed for many hours through the night. He comes off the mountain, is walking on water. All sort of unusual things. But they come from investment of hours and time in the presence of God. But let me make this very clear. You're not trying to earn God's favor by praying more. God already loves you, by the way. Whether you pray more or not, He already loves you. In fact, because you're loved, that is why you pray. You don't pray for it, you pray from it. However, to be able to handle the weight of what He's wanting to do in the earth, our staying power needs to increase. For some of you, you're used to praying for maybe 20 minutes, 15 minutes, and it's like, God needs to stretch. You need to have a stretch in your muscle to be able to stay for an hour in His presence where your, your flesh is not being entertained, but you're just there. And you're, even if you're bored, you're like, Lord, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay in this. By the way, whenever you're bored, it's not God that's boring. It's your flesh that's reacting. That's why you feel the boredom. It's your flesh just reacting. It's not the Spirit, because the Spirit is not boring. So we're going to pray, Lord, increase my stamina in the Spirit. I want staying power, where I easily get distracted, and where I give up too easy, and I let go. Lord, I'm asking that even from this night, a fresh hunger arises in me to be able to stay in your presence and not get distracted. So just pray that right now for a few moments. Just pray over yourself. Say, Lord, increase my stamina in the Spirit. Increase my staying capacity. Where I'm weak in the Spirit, cause me to grow stronger. Show me practically things I need to rearrange and ways in which I need to build spiritual stamina. Show me, Father, the areas where I'm easily being distracted or where the enemy is causing me to be weak. Lord, I ask that you cause me to be sensitive to your spirit and lean into the, to the emphasis of your spirit that you would drive me just like you drove Jesus into places of building muscle in the spirit yeah as we're praying this listen there's some of you it's like the 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 spiritual generator that's within you the destiny is to be able to power up a whole region i don't know if that makes sense it's like the capacity you have in the spirit is beyond just your family and you know praying for your family it's like it's going to impact a region like there's there's so much potential you have in the spirit but you're not exploring that potential because of a lack of stamina i won't i won't feel this over the church 
that there is so much you're going to power up in the spirit, in the region. But there will need to be an investment in the spirit for, for that power to be able to unleash in such a way that it's having the far-reaching impact that God has destined for it to have. So for one last time, let's pray this again. Say, Lord, increase my stamina in the spirit. Just take a few moments right now and pray that. Oh, Yavala Davizanda Deshrakaine. Yeah, Father, we say, Marcos, that in this room, Lord, you raise us up as warriors that will not back out. When things get tough, when the distraction increases, temptations increase, Father, our level of in intensity, consecration, and devotion would go to a whole new level, Father. Raise up warriors that can bear the weight of what you're wanting to release. In Jesus' name. I don't know if there's someone here that um, uh, something about your family and the way you've been brought up. I don't even know what this is. Santeria. Is that something? Anyone knows what that is? Yeah. It's like, you know, when I was praying earlier today, I just heard that word Santeria. Like, it, it feels to me like it's something in your family that's just negative. There's an opening there that the Lord wants to release freedom to right now. So I'm just going to pray over that. Father, anyone in this room right now that has connections to things in their family, in their bloodline, that's connected to darkness in ways that's been limiting their advancement. Lord, in the name of Jesus, by your authority, I take a stand right now against the works of darkness in that bloodline, in that family. And I rebuke that witchcraft. I rebuke that demonic influence right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I release your power to destroy the altars of wickedness that's given the enemy access and influence where there's been limitation over the life of this individual. Lord, right now, I just break every limitation of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, let there be freedom right now. Freedom right now. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room, even under the sound of my voice, that's dealing with issues in the bloodline, issues in the family, in the foundations that has been limiting their advancement. Lord, right now, I just release the blood of Jesus to bring order to foundations where there's been disorder, to bring freedom in the name of Jesus. Right now, let there be freedom from every yoke, every oppression of darkness, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. 
And Lord, we pray that you would make us the house of prayer you want us to be, the ecclesia that's able to advance your kingdom in this region. In Jesus' name, amen.